0: We finally made it to the end of the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, if you'd turn there, and we will finish I didn't want there to be a chapter, an, another study in this particular chapter, and so we're going to wrap it up today. But in doing so, I want to take some time at the onset and probably make a few of you mad. Uh, upset a couple of your apple carts, flip over your table. Uh, cause you to maybe think some things about me that you probably shouldn't, but I understand if you do. We're going to begin with a verse that has been quoted to me countless times in the last couple of years in defense of some of the most foolish statements that follow that I have ever heard in my entire ministry experience, actually in my life. And the reason I'm saying this is we have to be really careful what we hang on Jesus as being biblical, as being what the church should do. If you lose your biblical moorings, if you lose your biblical foundation, if you lose your ability to say, thus says the Lord, then you lose the argument biblically. And so I am going to address something that I think most of us have dealt with, and that's the issue of civil disobedience and where it fits in the life of the church. Before we get there, we're going to pray, and we're going to look at the first example, which is here in verse 23, and it's the example that I've been given uh, to justify things like Every believer should own a high-capacity magazine to go with their AK-47 or their AR-15. I have had it used to justify why we should break the law and not wear masks. I have had it used for why we should be protesting and storming the Capitol. I have had it used for why we should believe that A certain person should have won the election when they didn't. Uh, I have had this verse thrown at me for about every imaginable thing in the last couple of years. And frankly, I want to put us back on a biblical path so that we can get back to peace and back to the work that God's called us to do, which is to share the gospel so that people can be saved. Amen. Amen. Would you join me? Let's pray and we'll pick up here in verse 23 and we'll finish chapter 11 today. Father, thank you for your word that you have spoken to us as your children and you have instructed us and you have actually told us a majority of the statements that really are thus says the Lord so far as we can know them. And so we pray that you would speak to us from heaven, cause us to be careful listeners today. Lord, not let our preconceptions enter into our thinking Would we recognize that you are actually the final authority on all things pertaining to life and godliness? And so we yield our thinking to you. Our minds would be transformed as they're renewed by the Spirit. Uh, Help us to think correctly, Lord, as we ponder your word together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. By faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden three months by his parents. And so here it comes. Here's this verse that's been tossed at me for all manner of things that we would call, generally, civil disobedience or disobeying a direct order given by a government. And because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. That's the part that gets quoted to me. I don't want to be afraid of the king's command. And then it's masks and vaccines and you name it. Is that what this verse actually says? Or is this verse actually confirming what the Bible already has told us? And the answer is this verse is actually confirming what the Bible has already told us. And in fact, this verse does not support you just picking and choosing whatever thing you think you ought to believe. It supports the fact that the Sixth Commandment says, Thou shalt not murder. So the direct command that is being disobeyed in this particular verse is very, very clear. Thou shalt not murder. So you cannot take this verse and say, Well, this is why we need to have high-capacity magazines. Or this is why we should not wear masks, or this is why the church is being hindered from meeting if we wear a mask, and all kinds of other things that have been said to me over the last couple of years. Moses' parents are listed as those who expressed great faith by disobeying Pharaoh, but for a very, very, very definable and very specific reason. And so let's spend some time, and perhaps some of you are going to, like I said, be twisted a little bit. You're going to be grimacing a touch. The only alternative here to following that command was civil disobedience. And here's why this is important to you and I. We could sit here and talk about a hundred things, more than that. We could go on all day just talking about the things that we disagree with a certain way that the government functions. The question is, can we disagree solely, only, and completely on biblical grounds? Notice what I just said. Because this disobedience is solely, only, and completely on biblical grounds. Because that child is going to be murdered That child has intrinsic value in the Lord, created in the image of God. And so the disobedience is based on exactly those criteria and nothing else. That's where we end up in error in our society right now. Because we confuse what God has said with a whole lot of things that God hasn't said. And this is where we need as a church to return to the biblical moorings that we have when we do what God's word says. God's going to use this courageous act. Ultimately, Moses is going to end up in the house of Pharaoh. But even Moses is going to reject the good things of Pharaoh to make sure that he follows God's law. What does that look like in our world? What does civil disobedience in a believer really look like Let's look first at a couple of things that I think we can clearly all agree. One very famous, Rosa Parks, she's told she needs to sit in the back of the bus. She says, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because every human being is created by God with intrinsic value. And there should be no back of the bus. There shouldn't have ever been a situation where someone should have to sit in a place simply because of the color of their skin. Very clear, church. Any believer that doesn't see that doesn't understand the intrinsic value that we have created in the image of God. Imago Dei. Each one of us created in the image of God. And so we all have value. Anything that devalues another person that causes someone to be hated because of the color of their skin would be something God's not okay with. And it would be right for us to object to that, even to the point of civil disobedience. But notice what she was willing to do. She was willing to be arrested because there was a law on the books. She put herself at risk for the betterment of others. The second piece of this puzzle, to me, far more extreme, but in the same vein, is Miss Corey Tinbone. She hides. Jewish people so that they won't be murdered by the Nazis. Pretty clear that she also is looking at the sixth commandment. Thus says the Lord your God, thou shalt not murder. So when she disobeys by hiding those Jewish people, she is appealing to an even greater law, which God himself put forth and is very, very, very clear. You can't stand by and watch other people murdered. Those things are clear. But now let's take this to some of the things that we have people saying are you know, something that we should do and extend this out beyond what the Bible actually says. I actually got a letter from a group of Christians in Torrance who said there was a mosque that was being built in Torrance. And there was that we should go there and, if necessary, burn it to the ground. Signed, in love, and they gave their name of the, you know, keep Islam out of Torrance group. God hasn't asked you to kick out every aberrant religion out of this land. He did that with the Jews in the Old Testament in Israel for a purpose. He has not told us, you're not winning anybody to Christ by burning their church to the ground. As much as we may disagree, as much as we don't want anyone to be caught up in that aberrant religion, that is not how you're going to accomplish that. Those people are wrong. As much as they may want to have a government of God, we do not have a government of God in this nation. And we never have had since our beginning. Are we the most well-defined government that gives the best opportunity for us to be a Christian nation? Yes, we are, and we should be very thankful for it, but there's an awful lot of things that our government does that you can't put in God's category. You can't say, well, the Lord would do that, because he doesn't and wouldn't. And so when you start to appeal on every issue, you actually lose the impetus of why we can appeal on this issue, and that is, God actually said so. It's clearly defined in Scripture, and this is where we get in trouble. When things don't have a clear biblical mandate, and we say it as if it is a biblical mandate, then we are blaming God for our opinion. And we're allowing other people to think that somehow Jesus thinks that way. How about the masks that we're all wearing right now? Let me just be clear. I hate masks, okay? I'm not a mask lover. I would prefer we weren't wearing them. However, I can give you a long list of hundreds of things in this church that we do that are for the express purpose of keeping you safe that you could say waste an awful lot of God's money if you happen to want to look at it that way. We just spent something on the order of 24 to $27,000 last month on maintaining the fire system in this building. Now let me express something to you. We have a very high tech fire system in this building. There are actually lasers up here. You can't see them. They're shooting across the building. Should this building ever move in an earthquake, it would automatically set off the fire alarm. This building's made out of concrete. It's not exactly going to burn down by somebody. You could throw a Molotov cocktail against the outside. The wall's just going to look at you. It's not going to catch fire. Inside of this building, there are fire sprinklers. We're only in here for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes at a time, generally speaking are we wasting God's money? Well, no, it's a law. It's a health and safety code violation. There is a government that's established laws. That government has been established by God. They've been given certain functions in our world so that we can not have to have everyone have an opinion about whether we should have a fire system or not. Why is that important? because some churches would probably allow you to come to a building that could catch fire and would catch fire and did have too many chairs in it and all of those things that we constantly could debate about. The reason I'm making this case is masks were mandated by hundreds of thousands of pieces of information for people as the best medical evidence for how we can slow down the spread of coronavirus. Now, you can agree or disagree with that, but unless you have a degree, a PhD specifically in epidemiology or virology, then your opinion really isn't all that valuable because thousands of people who do have those degrees have mostly agreed that this is the best path forward. So we can sit here and argue all day about this one doctor, or these two doctors, or these 10 doctors, but there's 100,000 doctors on the other side. And here's the problem. When the church starts saying, thus says the Lord, if you really have faith, brother, then you won't wear masks, you are alienating a vast majority of the medical community that says it's probably a good idea. It's not a biblical issue. It has no biblical mooring whatsoever. It is purely scientific. It is purely medical. And that's the best that we can do right now. That's what most of those who make those decisions think at this moment in time. That's why there are different rules for different counties, different municipalities where there's less people. They're not in as close proximity one to another. But when the church starts saying, which we have had churches in our vicinity specifically call us out for still still wearing masks, and I'm not calling them out, I'm telling you this is what happens. When you do that, you alienate the body of Christ. And now we're fighting each other instead of being an army for the Lord, we're going to be enemies. That is not God's plan. Never been God's plan. And so, does God's word actually speak about masks? No! There is no biblical mandate whatsoever for masks or no masks. What is there? Well, that one's actually easy. As we argue about it, as we talk about it, as we sit here as adults speaking about a difficult issue, what does the Bible actually say? Because unless there is a biblical mandate, you don't have a biblical mandate. That's why I can tell you, God's not pro or against the Second Amendment. Jesus actually told Peter, as they're sitting there going out, and he's going to send them out as sheep amongst wolves, Peter goes, hey, we got two swords, and Jesus said, that's enough. You realize that's one of the only verses in the entire Bible that even talks about self-defense? But some in the church have turned that into, well, if you don't have an assault weapon hanging inside of your door and aren't willing to shoot somebody dead that comes into your house, then somehow you're not a real believer. The Bible doesn't teach those things, and we should stop saying those things. We should stop having those kinds of discussions in the church. If you want to have those discussions in the civil realm, You want to go out in the civic square. You want to have that discussion in the state capitol building. You want to have that in a city council meeting. You want to have that in the national government. That's what we have it for. Have it there. But don't hang that stuff on Jesus. Because when you hang that stuff on Jesus, you better be able to defend it with your Bible and you can't defend it with your Bible. This is so important, church. Because if we can eliminate all these things that people are arguing over, that don't have a thing to do with your Bible, we can get back to the Bible and we can teach people what the Bible says so that they can come to faith in Christ and be saved. Amen? So what does the Bible say about civil disobedience? Well, let me be really clear. It says almost nothing. Almost nothing. It's nearly completely silent on the issue. Especially with regard to the way we see it. And again, this is not talking about peaceful protest. The Bible actually is fine with peaceful protest. The Bible is fine with you speaking your mind. The Bible is fine with you getting together with people and holding up signs and doing all those kinds of things. But the Bible is not okay with you destroying other people's property and injuring people who are innocent, and threatening people with their lives over your opinion. The Bible's not okay with that. And so we have to be careful that we don't hang that also on, well, if you're really a Christian, then you would join this group and do these things, because you can't defend it with your Bible. God's not okay with you threatening. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, and self-control are the fruits of the Spirit. Violence is the tactic of the enemy. Anger is the tactic of the enemy. Hate is the tactic of the enemy. Violence begets violence is what the Bible says. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. If there's something to pay back, it's not your job. It's God's job. Amen? God's job. We keep trying to extract a pound of flesh and we get that pound of flesh and it just makes another pound of flesh need to be given up somewhere else and it's not working, church. We have to see this from God's perspective. And if God's people will do things God's way, we get to have an impact in our world. And so here's what the Bible does say. Psalm 2 begins Old Testament, by the way. The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds and break them in pieces and cast them away their cords. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. God actually laughs at some of the things that we say and do. Well, we'll just make this law or do these things. So in the end, God actually is still the sovereign king of the universe. Amen? So our problem is we're trying to fix things that only God can fix. If you change the human heart, you will change the way that person thinks. If you do not change their heart, then their thinking is still going along the lines of someone who doesn't know Christ. So what do you think they're going to think? This is why it's so important for us to get back to what Scripture does say and stop talking about what it doesn't say as if it were true. The Bible commands us, church, to not be lawbreakers. The moment the government tells me I can't preach the gospel, your pastor's going to jail. Okay? That simple. But you know what? Last Christmas, where were we? We were out there in that parking lot. Did we stop preaching the gospel? No, we did not. Have hundreds of people come to faith in Christ, even in a pandemic? Yes. Have those same people been baptized? Yes. Have we continued to do missions? Yes. Yes. Have we continued to meet together? Yes. Have people heard the gospel? Yes. Are we still doing what we were doing before? Yes. We're just doing it with masks that we all hate. Okay? We're doing it in a socially distanced way. We're not being told, as the apostle Paul was told in Acts chapter 4, do not preach this Jesus. I haven't been told to do that. I've been told we had to go outside, and we did and we bought several hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff to make sure that it was comfortable. And by the way, we've given away some of that stuff to other churches so that they could go outside and be comfortable. So you can do things correctly and honor the Lord and still obey the government. What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 13. Turn there if you want. Verse one, let's read it. Let every soul, what does that say, church? Every soul, that doesn't mean just believers, that means absolutely everybody. This is one of those rare times when the Bible actually includes everybody along with believers. Be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. Who is writing this? The apostle Paul. When is he writing it? During the reign of Caesar Nero. Nero the son of Augustus and Claudia, perhaps the most evil ruler that Rome ever saw. And we'll get to a little bit more of that in a moment. And the authorities that that exist are appointed by God. Yikes. And therefore, whoever resists the authority, not God's authority, the authority, governing authorities, resists the ordinance of God. God. And those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. I've got a number of commendations in my files upstairs of the good things that we have done, like supporting law enforcement, like reaching out with backpack ministries, Like giving gifts away at Martin Luther King Hospital, all these things. When you do good, the world stands up and takes notice. But when you don't do good, the world also notices that and you get a bad rap. People look at you and go, What are you about? Well, you're certainly not about God. You're not about his things. Notice where it goes. For he is God's minister. When's Paul writing? The first century. Who's in charge? Caesar Nero. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he, who's he? That's the government. This is why it is so important that we keep the civil sphere, government, and the church as connected together as believers are in both places, but separate so the government can do what God's called it to do, which is to punish evil, to take care of problems. Do you really want me as a pastor having to decide whether somebody you know, gets to go to prison for 25 years because they committed an armed robbery? That's actually what the Jewish people had to do because they were a theocracy. God says, this is not going to work long-term. Under grace, we're going to need two spheres, civil government and the church. Guess which one's superior? The church. The church. The church is supposed to take the lead. That's why you need to vote for godly rulers. That's why you need to put people in office that will enact laws that align with God's word. That is why you need to take your responsibility as a civil servant, someone who's engaged in the political realm as a citizen, and make sure you don't hang all of those things on God. Here's why. Because if I'm in the military right now, I want to be able to serve with a clear conscience. You know how I do that? The church and the government are separated. This person was put over me as a commander. I have a commander-in-chief and generals and colonels and majors and sergeants and sergeant majors. And I can follow those orders because God's word says that I'm to obey those whom God has allowed over. Because you know why? The church isn't supposed to wage war. But it may be necessary to protect innocent life. So we have a military. The same is true for law enforcement. If you're here and you're a law enforcement officer, praise God for you. And you can do that with a whole heart. And you can do that as unto the Lord. Doesn't mean that every single law enforcement officer has the same mindset or is the same person. But you as an individual can serve in that way other people. Because you know what? There is real evil in this world. And sometimes real evil doesn't yield to just, would you please not do that? Amen? God separated civil government from the church for a reason. Doesn't mean that the church shouldn't do everything it can to influence civil government in every way that we can, it simply means it's different. For a purpose. That's what this says. We can stand on this. Notice what it goes on to say. But if you do evil, be very afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. It's very clear that God has actually established governments for the purpose of avenging evil. Dealing with it. That's why our judicial system, as imperfect as it is at times, still the best one in the world. You don't want to go to trial in Iran, I can tell you that. Not as a believer. But people sit there and just, well, you know, it's not righteous. Yes, it's not righteous. That's correct. That's why it's separated out. Not everything in it is righteous. Do they make mistakes? Yes. Do bad things happen to good people? Yes. Do bad people sometimes get off? Yes. Well, that's true. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. God squares away accounts. He's not missing anything. And therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but for your conscience sake. You don't want to have to make this your personal issue. If vengeance is the Lord, you don't want to have to avenge absolutely every wrong. You would spend all your time doing nothing but that. So sometimes we get caught up trying to avenge things ourselves. We engage in behaviors that are not honoring to the Lord because we have failed to yield to the laws that God put in place for our good. Notice what I said. God put them in place for our good. Does that mean that every one of them themselves is good or every person that is involved in it is good? No. No. But God is the one that established government. And so we can't go around just doing our own thing. Jeremiah even understood this all the way back 2,800 years ago. He was very clear. Seek peace in the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. He's talking about the Babylonians. Pray for the peace of Babylon. God actually allowed you to be carried away there. Sometimes I, wondered if God, I wonder if God hasn't allowed some of what's going on right now to get our attention. It's like maybe we're in Babylon right now. Maybe the reason things are so tense and terse is because we're not listening. We're not praying for our leaders. Church, we can do better. We're not going to lead a quiet and peaceable life by simply trying to extract every bit of measure of personal freedom that we can get. I want to draw your attention quickly and try and move on here so we can finish this chapter up and it's actually doable. I want to give you three cases. Paul, we just looked at. Peter is another and the other is Jesus. Do you think Jesus didn't know that the taxes that were being rendered unto Caesar were being used for evil purposes? Of course he knew that the taxes that were being rendered to Caesar were being used for evil purposes. They were actually being used to oppress the very people that we call the early church, the Christians. But Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 22, said to them as he's being questioned, thinking that he was, being, he was guilty of insurrection, the Pharisees are basically saying, "Look, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's the question asked by the Pharisees to Jesus himself. How did Jesus respond? Therefore, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. You think Jesus didn't know what was going to happen with those tax dollars? Why is that? Because had he said anything else, I think you could make a case the church would have never gotten out of the first century. It's that simple. Can you imagine if Jesus, the leader of Christendom, says, yeah, let's stand up against Rome. How well do you think that would have went? Well, Rome was also responsible for the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, the Roman road system, and fresh water. So there were a lot of good things that went along with those bad things. You're probably saying, well, you know, I don't know. Some of you. Look, let's be clear. The Bible says that lawlessness is a tactic of the Antichrist. So anytime you've got to engage in lawlessness, you're on the wrong side. If it's lawless, it's not of God, period. Whether it's lawlessness against the Bible itself and all that it says, against God's word, or whether it's lawlessness against the authorities, which we just read is not okay with God, all lawlessness is not okay with God. So when you act lawlessly, you are helping the enemy. When you do things that just damage someone else because you're mad about something that already happened, you are helping the enemy. You're not helping solve the problem. Violence has never solved anything. Oh, we fought wars. In the process, look at the damage that's been done. Yes, good has ultimately come from a lot of things that we could say were evil, anybody that thinks that the dropping of the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were good things, you're insane. You're absolutely crazy. But it also may have spared the lives of maybe a million or more people. So on one hand, can you imagine if the church, we get together, well, I think we should bomb Hiroshima as the church. I don't think we want that on our conscience, do we? Do we want Jesus hung with that decision? I'm not saying it was good or it was bad. I personally believe that it was unfortunately necessary at that time. But that's my personal opinion. It was awful. Would pray that it would never happen. But The fact of the matter is government needs to make those decisions, not the church. And so we have to be careful. Otherwise we start delving into areas that blur this line and before you know it we're going to be the arbiters of right and wrong in the civic arena and we're going to get in trouble we're not going to be able to defend it with our Bibles Peter said submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether king as one in authority to governors as sent by him for punishment of evil doers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you might silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's pretty plain. It's pretty plain, church. It's pretty plain. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. But use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Church, I know have been forceful. I know I've spoken strongly. And my intent really is not to overstate this, but to draw attention to the issue. The issue is the church should remain holy. The church should remain anchored and moored in God's word. The church should be greater than the government. The church should act in accordance with God's word always. The church should not be able to be blamed with blurring those two lines, which are very clear in Scripture. The Old Testament is not to be applied to the New Testament. We haven't been asked to go slaughter the Amalekites. We've been asked to preach the gospel to every living, breathing soul. And to see people come to faith in Christ so that they can have eternal life. That's what the church has been tasked with. We need to stay on that task. That's how we can remain people of faith and not have to worry about all the rest of the stuff. And so, with that, let's see if we can wrap this book up, and I believe we can. Really, it's just a long list. In fact, the author actually says so. By faith, Moses, verse 24, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather choosing to suffer affliction. Look, church, faith requires tough choices. It requires death to self. With the people of God, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Rebellion is sin. Disobedience is sin. Lawlessness is sin. Those are passing things that do feed our flesh. It makes us feel good when we get to respond with some vigor. But if we respond in a negative way that shames the name of the Lord, it's still sin. We don't want the passing pleasures of sin. We want the reality of life in Christ. That's why Moses denied those things. That's why Jesus denied those things. The Bible plainly teaches that Jesus came and denied himself, picked up his cross. We're to do the same. We're to set our, any right that you have should be a right that you're willing to sacrifice for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's that simple. Ultimately, when we get to heaven, our rights that we extracted from this life on this earth are not going to mean much. What's going to mean much is, did you share the gospel? Did you cause people to come to faith in Christ? And did you help people walk in the Spirit? Those things will matter. But whether I got the mask thing right or not, really isn't going to matter. But if it keeps people from coming to faith in Christ, if we get so antagonistic towards one another, it's like the mask people and the anti-mask people can't sit in the same space, then we've messed up. We've messed up. My son serves as a church out in the desert. They don't have to wear masks out there. Am I jealous at times? Yes. Seriously. It's like, I wish we didn't have to. But we don't live in Palm Desert. We live in L.A., the second largest metropolitan city in the United States of America. One of the largest cities in the world. we got a whole bunch more people. All of Riverside County could fit in downtown L.A., A little different story, amen? So there's a little different rule there. That's why. I wish it were different here, but it's not. So how do I support my rulers that God have put over us by obeying them and not making their job tougher? By not causing law enforcement to have to come in here and shut us down because we're being disobedient. Code enforcement can do that, by the way. They can show up and go, you're not doing the right things here. 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater treasures than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. What reward? Heaven. Yet a heavenward gaze. For by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He was looking ahead. He wasn't looking at the things that are going on here on earth. He was looking towards what really mattered. And ultimately that's heaven. We want to live lives now that point other people to heaven. That tell people that we believe we're going to heaven. This whole chapter is about people who walked by faith and not by sight. They weren't deceived in and of themselves. We need to be able to accept that human disapproval. It's like, I, I'm not going to answer to anybody save Jesus when I get to heaven. That doesn't make me arrogant arrogant. Proud or boastful, it just means I know who I'm going to answer to when I get there. There's not going to be a whole long line of people who, you know, lived in Los Angeles. Like, oh, we want to talk to Pastor Jeff before he gets in. I'm like, it's not happening. It's going to be me and Jesus. I know what he's going to say. Enter in. Well done wasn't perfect hopefully there will be a crown or two to give to him as a gift we're all getting to heaven the same way it's by grace and through faith not not of ourselves. it's a gift of God so let's be people of grace people of faith the rest of these examples as we just run through them and by faith he kept the Passover the sprinkling of blood lest he who was destroyed by the firstborn should touch them these are all faith things. These aren't law things. These aren't rights things. These are faith things. Can you imagine if you were a Jewish person during the Passover? Well, here's what we're going to do. Angel of death going to come through the camp. going to kill all the firstborn, but just put some blood on your doorposts and your lentils. This doesn't make any sense, humanly. And sometimes the things that we do for the Lord Jesus, it's like the world says something else. Rationale even sometimes says something else. Maybe logic says something else. Your knowledge might be in conflict. But we walk by faith, church. The Bible, especially the Old Testament, is just filled with people who had massive amounts of faith. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea as dry land. Whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so with flesh, were drowned. The flesh part I put in there. But that's what they were. They weren't relying on the spirit of the living God. They were just an attacking army. They were going to go get them. And they died. Church, the reason as I looked at this this morning, I just kept going over it and over it. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. You talk about a stupid battle plan. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Um, We're all farmers and sheep herders. And we're going to gather together and we're going to march around the city seven times. And we're going to shout. And the walls are going to come tumbling down. So here's the people in Jericho. Man, those guys got some good wine out there in the wilderness. (laughs) Because that's the sixth time they've gone around. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine? You're inside of the walled, fortified city of Jericho, watching a bunch of hillbillies from the sticks, marching around your city. It's like, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. You know, it's like, makes no sense. Unless you're Doing what God told you to do. You and God's a majority all the time. Do what He says, you're gonna come out on the right end. After they were encircled for seven days, walls did come down. And by faith, I'm gonna give Brahab a hug when I get to heaven. Poor gal was known as the harlot. By faith, the harlot Rahab. How'd you like to have a name like that? That's your, that's your moniker in scripture. Praise God that's there. Because you know what? Most of us are. We sold ourselves to false gods. We've been running around on God. You see, we're quick to put it on her. Maybe your fact that she's a, a lady and not a man, that's absolute insanity. It's foolishness. Because the inference is this, actually we're all harlots. We all have said things to God and then taken them back. We've made promises and didn't fulfill them. But she did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. You think there might have been a little thought in her mind, maybe this is a bad idea, maybe I should just go with the other guys because it does look like they're winning? She was willing to say no to the world and yes to God. And because of that, when we begin Matthew's gospel, we're going to find her in verse 5 in the lineage of Jesus. She brings Boaz into the world, this beautiful picture of the kinsman redeemer. Not Jewish, but she's in the lineage of Jesus. Verse 32, and what more can I say? And truly, what more can I say? I love this part because it actually is. As you get to the end, it's just like one after another. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and all the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, and escaped the edge of the sword and out of weakness were made strong and became valiant in battle and turned to the flight of armies of aliens. When you look at this list, it's like a who's who of the Old Testament. It's like every last one of them outnumbered, outgunned, totally without resources. I love David. David. I have slain the lion and I've slain the bear and this Philistine will be one of them. Now the fact of the matter is he was the runt of the litter. He was the lunch boy for his brothers. That's who he was as a human being. He was small in stature. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't even trained in war. But he had everything he needed. He had God. And five smooth stones. That was all he needed. You and some rocks is sufficient when God's the other element. I love that. You think Daniel, when he was tossed into the lion's den, may have had a couple of moments of like, oops, this isn't so good. But he came out. When he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hey, you guys don't even smell like smoke. The ingredients, faith. That's what delivered them. It wasn't their brilliant military tactics. But they went through persecution, they went through difficulty. The women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. My goodness. You think if we had that attitude, it's like, Lord, there's nothing I won't give up. There's nothing I won't surrender. There's nothing that really is all that important to me. If you want it, you can have it. It's yours. If I get persecuted, that's okay. Not that that's what I want. But if that happens, it's okay. It's going to be fine. These people live by faith. They knew they were gaining the world to come. And it was far more valuable than the world of here and now. They weren't concerned about apples for apples. They weren't worried about tit for tat. They understood vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If God needs to do something with that person to repay them for the evil they've done, that's his gig. That's his thing to do. You know what it does? It frees me. I don't have to think about vengeance. I don't have to think about retribution. I'm not caught up in unforgiveness and bitterness. I can let those things go and I can walk in peace. Somebody may not have peace with me, but the Bible says as best as it lies with you, live at peace with all men. For the believer, your command is to walk in peace. These guys were stoned. They were sawn in two. Isaiah chopped in half but they were commended for their faith and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise not one of them lived to see Jesus not one of them but they rested and trusted that they were going to see him someday, somehow, some way that's what you call having a heavenly outlook they trusted God to keep his promises Having God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Every last one of us. You're getting to heaven? For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself is a gift of God, lest any of us should boast. That's how we're all getting to heaven. That's how the Old Testament saints are getting there. That's how you and I are getting there. And so I want to be in line with God's word. I want to walk by faith. I don't want to have to answer for my... Silly opinions on everything. I have to recognize that God created civil government for a purpose. It has its role in human society. And until we go home, it always will. That's what his word says. I can rest and trust him with those things. may not go exactly the way I want it to go. And where I have opportunity, I can effect change as best as I can. You have a voice. Use it for the king. You have gifts. Use them for the king. You have talents. Use them for the king. And walk in faith. It's the only thing that's going to get us home. It's the only way you're going to heaven. So let's use it while we're here. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. I apologize for the length, but um, didn't really want to do a part five. One chapter four studies is enough. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we need extra faith, especially in these days and in these times. Lord, I know there are people who are hurting. I know there are people who are suffering injustice. I know that there's inequity. We all know these things. None of us really like mass. We're divided over things like vaccines and what to do with these problems that continue to plague us and racial justice. and These these things, that are hard, God. They're just hard. And Lord, we need your help. We need your help to be kind when it seems like it'd be a good idea to not. Lord, help us to love one another as you have loved us. And so bless us, Lord, as we endeavor to give you everything, the honor that's due your name. Help us to respect those who've been placed over us And help us to love you supremely and do all that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.